Our epistle reading this morning is from Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 25. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we, are con- so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as as those who have, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this opportunity to look into your word. Would you be with us now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is certainly a new season of life for for Gina and me. We are... uh, For many of you uh, who know us, you know that we are new parents. Uh, July 
29th, uh, not that long ago, at 11.51 p.m., our lives changed. Uh, wow, I'm getting choked up this suit in this sermon. We're, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, we, had our, we had our first child, um, Magnolia. Um, and so Maggie came uh, at 11.51 p.m. at night. Uh, we were in the hospital. Uh, she came three, she was here three weeks early. And we were in the hospital uh, from Tuesday night to Sunday night. And uh, the delivery was a long process. It was a, it was an arduous process. And uh, um, uh, I, I have to tell you, um, obviously, Gina was uh, doing all the work in that situation, but uh, but I was worn out as well. I was tired. And when when Maggie was finally here, I was keenly aware of something. She 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 was here. She was she was finally there. She's and and. There's this situation, I don't know if, if uh, all the parents here have, have, have gone through this, and perhaps this is uh, related to having a baby during COVID-19, um, but there was, this, there was this sense in which, you know, I'm looking at Maggie and I'm saying, you know, I, you know I'm a dad, I'm, 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 she's here. And then, uh, shortly thereafter, there are there's people starting to leave the room, nurses leaving the room, uh, it's like, you know, all the, hype was, all the hype was over. And I'm starting to get a little bit worried at that point. Where are you all going? I just want to sleep. This has been a very long day, and Gina wants to sleep. And you're just going to leave this baby here in the room with us. Are you coming back in? You know? And so um, the situation there is that in that moment, I was keenly aware that as a statement of fact, I am a parent, I'm a dad. And yet, it's also true at the same time that being a parent requires living into that reality. It requires actually all kinds of things that are an outworking of being a parent. And those things, we would say, are equally, if not more important, right? Gina and I are learning this. We're living that out right now. We're getting used to the new rhythms of life, the copious amounts of diapers and uh, burp cloths and, you know, spitting up and, you know, all of these things. I don't need to go down that list for you. Uh, I'm sure you're all keenly aware of what this is like. But this is all new to us, and we're, we're stepping into this reality. And the more that we do this the more we're living into parenthood. It's an outworking of the reality of being a parent. And so the burp cloths and the diapers and the being up late at night is all incredibly important. It's not tacked on. It's, what, it's the essence of what it means to be a parent, right? And so when it comes to Hebrews 13, we find ourselves uh, in a series, we, the author of the book of Hebrews um, has taken us through a long journey through the book, and we are now in the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we find ourselves where the author is sort of giving us this sort of, uh, you know, very quick, almost seemingly kind of just, um, 
you know, almost uh, seems unconnected almost at times, uh, this idea of, you know, just various kinds of exhortations. And the temptation for us this morning is to look at this and say, well, you know, the substance and all the things, this great theological message, this incredible book that we've been exploring, the book of Hebrews, has really taken place in chapters 1 through 12. And chapter 13 is just a bunch of tack-on exhortations, the practical outworking. But the reality of it is, is that just like parenting, it's the practical outworking that matters. This is keenly important for, what, for the book of Hebrews. This is everything the book of the author of Hebrews has been driving towards, right? So the author has taken us on this incredible journey, appealing to his audience to not turn back to the ways of uh, the old covenant, to not turn back to the ways of, of and, and apostatize from the faith, and to veer off into strange teachings. The author of Hebrews is exhorting his audience to live in to their citizenship as citizens of Zion. And so the author has taken us on this journey from uh, Jesus being the better Moses to being the better priest, the great high priest that is a mediator of a better covenant. And so finally, uh, just last week, we looked at uh, chapter 12. In, uh, in verse 22, uh, we, were to, we, we were reminded that we have not come to a mountain that can't be touched. The mountain that the author has in view here is Mount Zion. In verse 22 and following, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal, feastal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven into God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so, this final chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author has saying, we've come to Zion, and he's exhorting his audience to live out their present reality as citizens of Zion. And so 13 follows very naturally from chapter 12. It's not just simply tacked on. Chapter 12 actually ends in verses 28 and 29 with these words, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship in reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so what follows in chapter 13 is a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like as it's lived out in the people of God. It's a picture of the people of God living out their present reality as citizens of Zion. And so um, one thing I've learned about myself in my uh, uh, 34 years of life um, I, I'm getting, I'm not that old, but I'm getting old enough now that it takes me a second to remember how old I am, so there's that. Um, but one thing I've learned about myself is uh, I tend to be really amazed by things that uh, are put into glass and form miniature worlds. So recently I just uh, found, like I got, you know, real enthralled with lava lamps for some reason. I don't know why. 
And I, I told my wife, Gina, I said, I just got to spend $10 on a lava lamp. I don't know why. It's just a, it's a miniature world in there, right? And I'm certainly no collector of ships in a bottle, but they amaze me, right? And one thing I really love are snow globes. When you look into a snow globe, it's this miniature cosmos, this miniature world. And I don't know about you, but I've never looked into a snow globe and seen a dismal world. It's always an, an idyllic world. It's always the world, it's life the way it's supposed to be. When you look into a snow globe and you peer through it through its various angles, you see the way life is supposed to be, a pleasant view, a window into the way life is supposed to be. And so when we look into the kingdom of God, and, as, and I would invite you to look through as we uh, journey through uh, Hebrews 13, it's a bit like peering into a snow globe through various angles. It's a, a picture of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And so it's a, it's a, we, as we go through, I want you to, um, to think of this like looking at three different angles. The first of which is in verses, uh, begins in verse one. The author of Hebrews exhorts us to live out our citizenship through brotherly love. Brotherly love. Verse one says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And this is likely a reference to Genesis 18, when Abraham and Sarah entertain uh, three, three messengers, three men, in association with an announcement about, the, about Isaac. But he exhorts his audience to live in, to lean in to their, to their citizenship by being hospitable to one another, that we're characterized by hospitality. Gina and I have seen this on full display in the last month. We've been, uh, I've probably gained a few pounds by the, num- the, amount, the, the meals that have been coming uh, from people in this church, some of whom we know, and others we don't, we have yet to get to know, and that's just been a beautiful picture. In fact, I actually think of a, um, a time recently where um, someone brought us a meal and uh, my, na- my neighbor was out to see uh, someone bringing us a meal, and, uh, and they said, do you know them? And I said, well, they're from our church. And he said, wow, that's just such a beautiful picture. What he was experiencing, what he was seeing right there was like looking into a snow globe. He's seeing the kingdom of God at work in the world. The love of Christ being shown through hospitality. The second way that this is worked out, brotherly love, is he mentions in verse three, remembering those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So not only are we to be a hospitable people, but the author exhorts his audience to remember those who are mistreated and those who are in prison, to, to constantly keep at the forefront those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel all over the world, and to pray for them. Not only is the kingdom of God seen in the citizens of Zion through brotherly love, but it's also seen through purity. And this, is, this forms kind of the next section here in chapter 13, and this is we see this in a few different ways. The first of which is one that may not immediately come to mind when we think of this, but um, 
honoring the institution of marriage. Look at verse four. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The author calls his readers to honor marriage, to lift it up. This too is an outworking of brotherly love that when we live a chastened life, although the world may see that as prudish and perhaps boring, the reality of it is, is that we are expressing the love of God to our neighbor. That what the author of Hebrews has just said here is essentially in keeping with honoring the seventh commandment. That when you love someone, you respect them enough, you honor them, and so you uphold the marriage for the sake of your own honor and for the sake of honoring God, but for theirs as well, and for the sake of their family, and for the sake of the community of God living out its citizenship. The second way that this, uh, that this is played out is um, he mentions in verse five the idea of being content in not loving money. And it's interesting that, that, that one follows right from the other. He moves from the idea of honoring marriage to immediately talking about money. And you, we fre you frequently find these two things go hand in hand. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me? What the author does here is uh, he splices together a couple of verses here from the Psalms, in Psalm 56 and Psalm 18. And it's interesting, when you read this, um, you know, when I think of being content and, and not loving money and being content with the things that, 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 that I have, I think of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer invites us into being content with what we have by asking the Lord to give us today our daily bread. And so the author exhorts his readers to li live out their citizenship by being content with the things they have. But this is what's interesting, is that the quote is actually, um, the earlier quote is actually from Joshua chapter one, verse five. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so it's interesting the logic of the author of Hebrews is to say, do not love money. Be content with the things that you have. And if anyone is struggling with that, the, the answer to that is not just simply try harder. The answer is not to actually veer off into some kind of bizarre teaching of asceticism. The answer to this is actually to recognize that the Lord is with you that you have Christ, that we are heirs with Christ, that we live our lives in and through Christ. And so because of that reality, the Lord is my helper. What do I have to fear? What can man do to me? And so the idea of concerns about money and, and being content with the things we have need to be played out in our lives by aligning ourselves with, 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 with the recognition of this, that we have Christ, Christ is with us. The third and final way that this gets played out is uh, in beginning in verse seven, 
and following. Now this is a fairly long, uh, uh, this is a longer section. But all of these things from, from verse 7 to 16 relate to this idea of faithfulness to the gospel. And if you'll recall, throughout the book of Hebrews, this is one of the reasons the author of the book of Hebrews is writing the book, because the audience is in danger of veering off into strange teachings. The author, uh, the author is exhorting his audience to live out their citizenship and by being, to, in being faithful to the teachings of the gospel that they have received. Beginning in verse seven, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and, and imitate their life. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So those who brought the word of God to the audience of this letter are the, the, the audience of this letter is to remember those, to honor those, to not veer off into strange teachings. And so and he says this in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it, is, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. And the way that the author illustrates this may not, uh, it may be difficult for us to grasp uh, initially, but he, but he reaches back to something that the author has been talking about uh, you know, throughout the book. The Day of Atonement. In verse 10, we have an author, uh, sorry, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So the, the day of atonement, the most weighty day in the Hebrew calendar, the day in which once a year the high priest enters into the holy of holies and cleanses the inner sanctum of the sanctuary. The, the, the high priest does this by having animal victims then using the blood of those animals to enter into the Holy of Holies and cleanse the sanctuary. Again, this was done once a year. This is the most weighty day of the Hebrew calendar. And what does the author say here? It says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Interestingly, on the Day of Atonement, although on other at other times, in other uh, in other uh, rites in the book of Leviticus, the priests actually are at times allotted their portion of the sacrificial meat to eat. But on the Day of Atonement, they could not participate in that. They actually had to burn the bodies of the victims outside of the camp. And so the author of the book of Hebrews draws our attention to this, and he says, that we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Verse 11, for, those, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify those through, whom, uh, uh, through, his, through his own blood. This is what the author of Hebrews has been driving at this whole time. The tabernacle and the whole sanctuary uh, 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 edifice and all of its sacrifices and all of the things that we find there in the book of Leviticus are but a shadow. They point to something. The substance is in Christ. 
The substance is in what Christ has done. We, and we, I'll call your attention back to chapter 9 in verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. See, the author of Hebrews is giving one finer, final exhortation to his audience to not go back to the old covenant, but to recognize the sufficiency of Christ, that Christ is the thing to which all of those former things pointed. He's exhorting his audience to not go back to the shadow, but to come to the great high priest, who entered not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by, enter, but by entering through his own blood. He entered not into the inner sanctum of a copy sanctuary, but to the heavenly sanctuary. And so here we are, we come to Mount Zion, and we, are, we're, we, we, it, we see this picture of this snow globe. We peer into it, and we see in there this mountain, and we see in there the people of God, and we see the world the way it's supposed to be, being lived out by the people of God. In verse 13, he finally calls, the atten calls our attention, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Honoring Christ through purity involves actually bearing the reproach of Christ. That uh, he says, let us go to him outside the camp, the place to which you would send uh, you know, lepers, the place where chaos exists. Let us go to Christ and bear his reproach. But here's what this is what he, in verse 13, which is uh, one of my favorite phrases in this whole uh, chapter, but we seek the city that is to come. But we seek the city that is to come. Just as Abraham looked to a city that was not made by hands, but whose architect and builder was God, so too we, we seek that city. We, we are citizens of that city. And we are to live out our citizenship. We are to live it out in these ways. Through brotherly love. And through our, our purity. And through our faithfulness to the gospel. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have called us not to a city made from hands, but to an eternal city that you have called us to a higher citizenship. May we live that out. May our neighbors and our friends see that in our lives. And may they peer in, may, we, may they see a glimpse into a world that's breaking into our present world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.